I'm going to start this morning's text with a caveat. Uh, we're in Mark chapter 5, uh, verses 21 through 43. And this is a, uh, probably over the last few months, this has become one of my favorite stories in the entire Bible. And I think it's because I have a daughter now. Um, this is the story of Jairus and his daughter. And I texted Crystal multiple times as I was writing this sermon and saying, I don't know how I'm going to make it through this sermon today. Uh, without crying, because uh, this is just a, such a powerful story. It's a powerful picture of, of God's love, um, of his faithfulness to this man named Jairus, uh, of Jesus's tenderness and compassion uh, for this man and for his family. And so, uh, again, Mark chapter 5, um, invite you to, to open up and follow along. And as you're opening up, I want you to just consider a moment in time in your past when you have found yourself to be desperate. Think of a time where you were absolutely desperate, where it didn't matter how hard you worked, it didn't matter how much effort you put in, you found yourself at the end pleading with God to intervene and to help you. And perhaps for many of us this morning, it's a time of, of sickness for a family member or for a friend. There was nothing that you could do to help that person, no matter how much you wanted to, and so you find yourself at the end of your rope, simply crying out to God, please God, help us, we need you to intervene. Perhaps it was during a financially difficult time, the bills kept mounting up, and you had no idea how you were going to cover them all. Your anxiety is just absolutely through the roof. It doesn't matter how much you work. It doesn't matter how diligently you save. You can never find yourself getting ahead, and you find yourself just praying the only prayer that you can utter, simply saying, save us, God. And still, maybe others of you, you may have experienced a little bit of this this past week with, with the flooding. And no matter how hard you worked, how long you worked, the water just kept coming and coming and coming. And your home, this place is supposed to be a, a place of rest. It just becomes this endless worry and exhaustion for you. And in your desperation, you just cry out, why? Why, God? Why are you letting this happen? Please help us. We've all found ourselves at a place of, of desperation, haven't we? We've found ourselves at a place, where, whether it's sickness or, or financial issues or, or natural disasters or, or relational turmoil or this disappointment or this season of life where we simply just find ourselves in this funk where we're asking God, how long, oh Lord? No matter where we come from, we've all found ourselves in a place where we're crying out to God, why? How long? Help us save us. And this morning's text is a story that is all about desperation. It is all about desperation. It tells us about the desperation of this man who was named Jairus, one of the most important, prominent, respected people in his village in that day. And it, tell, it teaches us about the, the desperation of this unnamed woman, this woman who's on the fringes of society, who is impoverished, who is all alone. These two people who are on the exact opposite ends of the social spectrum, and yet their lives intersect because of their desperation, because of their pleading with Jesus to come and to intervene. And this morning's text, as I mentioned, is a story that is all about desperation, but it is also a story about faith. It is a story about a man who's in his desperation led him to faith in Jesus. A woman who in her desperation it led her to a faith in Jesus, but for both of them it didn't just stop there. 
So here's what we're going to see this morning as we explore this text. It's a reminder that I think is so important for each and every one of us today, that when we find ourselves in seasons of desperation, and when it leads us to this disappointment, to this questions of, of where are you, God? This text speaks volumes. You see, it is a, a, this, this moment where Jesus accepts Jairus' faith. He accepts this woman's faith, and yet he leads them consciously into situations where that faith is forced to grow. It is forced to mature. It is forced to take deep deep roots. And Jesus does that all the time. Jesus does that all the time. He rarely answers our prayers with the exact same way that we want him to answer. When we find ourselves desperate, he oftentimes leads us into situations where we are even more desperate, where we find ourselves taking our our little offering of faith that we can just muster up and give to Jesus, and he takes that and he grows it. And he makes it something that is beautiful. Over the last couple chapters as we've been going through Mark, we've seen that Mark is just focusing on this idea of discipleship. What does it mean for us to be Jesus' disciples? Jesus had many, many fans while he walked the earth. He had large crowds who swarmed around him every single place he went. Jesus was one of the most popular people in that day and age, and yet Jesus didn't care about popularity. He wanted more than popularity. He wanted people who would actually follow him, not because of what he could do for them, but because they delighted in who he was. And this text this morning is is a story of how people get from the crowd, from these people who follow Jesus on our terms, to becoming disciples, those who follow Jesus on his terms. If you have a Bible, I invite you to open up Mark chapter 5, 21 through 43. We're going to look at these two stories. They're intertwined together. Remember, we've, we've looked at Mark do this a couple times in the past where he, he starts one story and then he, he presses the pause button and then goes to another story and then he comes back to that final story. And these two stories are, are intertwined to show us something that we couldn't see without them being mixed together. So this morning, we're just going to follow the text. We're going to start with Jairus and Jesus, then we're going to go to to Jesus and this woman, and then back to Jairus and Jesus once more. As we approach God's word, uh, let's pray one more time uh, for God's presence to be with us. God, it is, uh, again, just so good to to be able to open your word, and as we approach that word this morning, we we come from, from so many different places, and some of us might be hanging on just by a thread desperately needing you to to show us how you are at work in our current situations. Others of us here might be just riding on the clouds, and so Jesus, whatever season we find ourselves in, we ask that you would use it to draw us nearer to you. God, we ask that you would bless this time in your word this morning. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's pick up at the beginning of our story, starting, uh, focusing on Jesus and Jairus, starting in verse 21. And when Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered around him, and he was beside the sea. Then came one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name, and seeing him, he fell at his feet." 
Our text picks up right after last week's story. First half of Mark chapter 5, we see that Jesus travels to the other side of the Sea of Galilee into this Gentile territory where he encounters this man who is possessed by not just one demon, but an army of evil spirits. And Jesus frees the man. He liberates him, showing his, his complete and utter power over evil. And that's it. Jesus doesn't stick around. He doesn't stick around and and teach. He doesn't start this movement in this area. He he makes this trip across the Sea of Galilee, and he braves this terrible storm as he's doing it. And then he goes back home after this encounter with this man. This is his focus last week. He frees this man. He sends him out as a missionary of mercy amongst the Gentiles, and then he returns back to Jewish territory, most likely back to Capernaum, where Jesus' ministry most always takes place by the Sea of Galilee. And once Jesus returns to Capernaum, he's again swarmed by this crowd, as we just saw. The end of verse 21 reads almost exactly like the the description of Jesus' ministry from Mark chapter 3. Mark chapter 3 says this, Jesus withdrew with his disciples to the sea, and a great crowd followed him from Galilee and Judea and Jerusalem and Idumea and from beyond the Jordan and from around Tyre and Sidon. When the great crowd heard all that he was doing, they came to him. So Jesus is, again, by the sea near Capernaum. This crowd gathers around Jesus, and most likely they are gathering around Jesus, not primarily to hear his teaching, but because they want to see miracles. They have people that need healed. They have sick that need to be taken care of. And so they all come to Jesus primarily for, here, for this reason. Now here in Mark chapter 5, Mark focuses on one person in particular, He tells us about this man in the crowd named Jairus. Jairus is one of the leaders of the local synagogue in Capernaum. Our text tells us that Jairus is one of the quote-unquote rulers of the synagogue, which means that he was one of the volunteer leaders of the synagogue. It was his job to make sure the, the facility was kept in good shape. It was his job to make sure that there was teaching every single Sabbath as the people gathered together. Most of these synagogue rulers were a part of the party of the Pharisees. And so this man, Jairus, was most likely a Pharisee focused on this idea of spiritual revival in Israel. And as a leader of the synagogue, Jairus would have been one of the most respected people in all of Capernaum. He would have been admired for his commitment to scripture, his commitment to God's people. He, he likely would have been on the wealthier side of things in that day and age. And so here is a man, in essence, who has his act together. He's got everything going right for him, except for one thing. Of course, his daughter is sick and near death. It's likely that Jesus and Jairus actually knew one another. After all, Jesus has done a number of miracles here in Capernaum, including the first recorded miracle in the Gospel of Mark. It takes place in not just in Capernaum, it actually takes place in the synagogue in Capernaum. It's entirely likely that Jairus was there when Jesus uh, gave that first miracle, and who knows how many other miracles Jesus has performed and, and Jairus has seen while Jesus is doing these things around Capernaum. And honestly, as we look at all these things about Jairus, we, we honestly can ask the question, we have no idea what Jairus thought of Jesus up to this point. No idea what his opinion of Jesus was to this point. He was most likely a Pharisee. It's possible that Jairus was one of those people that complained in Mark chapter 2 about the company that Jesus was keeping, about Jesus hanging out with tax collectors and sinners like Levi. 
It is possible that Jairus was one of those people that was complaining in Mark chapter 2 about Jesus' disciples breaking the Sabbath. He might have even been one of those Pharisees in Mark chapter 3 verse 6 that after seeing Jesus heal someone on the Sabbath, gathered together and said, we got to get rid of this man. Mark chapter 3 verse 6, the Pharisees went out and immediately held counsel with the Herodians against Jesus how to destroy him. So whatever their history... Whatever the relationship between Jesus and Jairus, now we see something completely different. We see that Jairus is now joining the crowds in order to get to Jesus. These crowds are surrounding Jesus by the sea, and Jairus is fighting. He's clawing his way through the crowd all so he can get to Jesus. And when he finally gets to Jesus, he does something that's startling. He falls down before him. If you notice, there's a parallel here between what Jairus does and, and what the demon-possessed man did in the previous passage. They both fall down before Jesus, and they both beg Jesus to do something for them for help. And both of these things, begging and falling down before Jesus, would have been absolutely unthinkable for a man like Jairus to do, but he is desperate. This is a man who is absolutely desperate. His daughter is sick. His daughter is nearing death. And nothing that Jairus has done has made her better. Luke actually tells us that this is Jairus' only daughter. And whatever Jairus has thought about Jesus up to this point, it is clear that he can't argue with the results that he has seen. And he is willing to do anything and everything because her death is imminent. And so he turns to his last chance, and that's Jesus, the healer. Let's keep reading, picking up in verse 23. Actually, I'm going to go back to 22. Then came one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name, and seeing him, he fell at his feet and implored him earnestly, saying, My little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her so that she may be made well and live. And he went with him. So Jairus comes to Jesus, he falls down before Jesus, and he cries out, please, Jesus, it is my baby girl, she's dying. Now notice the word he uses here is not daughter. In Greek, he actually uses something that's called the diminutive. This is a, a common uh, thing that we actually have in, in every single language. It's a category, it takes a, a word, and it's a category of that word that makes it something that's tender and warm. So, for example, uh, today in English, we have dogs, but sometimes, especially little kids, they call them puppies. Same thing with cats. We have cats, but instead of cats, they're kitties. And instead of daughter, it's my little girl, my baby girl. We have all these pet, pet names for, for different, um, different names that we use for our kids. And we'll see that this little girl is actually 12 years old. So this isn't a description of, of, well, she's literally my little daughter. No, this is a description of, of, of how much he loves this little girl. And so if you have a daughter, or if you have a son, if you, have a, if you are, know someone who, who has a pet name for their children, for us at home, uh, our daughter, two and a half, Mara, we, uh, we call her baby girl. Um, sometimes we call her Mara girl a lot. That's, a, that's our pet name for Mara. And that's most likely a better translation here than just saying my little daughter here. It is this pet name that, that Jairus is using to describe his daughter. He's saying something like, Jesus, it, it's my baby girl. 
She's dying. I, I need you to do something. And that word, more than any other word in this passage, just reveals how desperate Jairus is. His world is crashing down around him. It's as though he's saying, Jesus, I can't, I can't imagine life without my baby girl. I need you to come, and I need you to do something. Jairus doesn't care about what the crowds may think of him. He doesn't care about the, the fact that people will, will say things about him falling down at the feet of Jesus. He doesn't care that he may have these reservations in the past about Jesus' company or some of the things that he's been saying. None of that matters right now. All that matters to Jairus is his baby girl, his, his little darling. And he comes to Jesus, and he says, Jesus, I need you to help me. Because she is dying. I need you to come before it's too late. You see, Jairus knows that Jesus is able to heal her when everyone else and everything else has failed. And Jesus, he's, he's gone. He's on the other side of the water, but he comes back just in time. And Jairus sees Jesus coming. He's like, okay, if we, if we hurry, we can make it home. And Jesus, this man who's, who's healed countless other people, he can heal her too. You see, Jairus may be desperate, but he also has faith. He has faith that Jesus can do something. Otherwise, he wouldn't have come and asked and begged Jesus to do something. He's desperate, but he also has faith. So Jesus and Jairus, they, they set off for Jairus' home, but they aren't alone. The crowd actually travels with them, which brings us to this second encounter in the passage. It's not just between Jesus and Jairus now. It's, just, it's between Jesus and this unknown woman. Let's pick up again in verse 24. And he went with him, and a great crowd followed him and thronged about him. And there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years, and who had suffered much under many physicians, and had spent all that she had and was no better, but rather grew worse. For Jairus, time is of the essence. Every second that passes is a second that his daughter draws closer to death. And so imagine Jairus's frustration here when this entire crowd doesn't just move out of the way. So Jesus can go and heal his baby girl, but instead the crowd decides to follow, to go with Jesus. They continue to press in on Jesus, asking for their own healing. This word thronged here in this verse is actually the exact same word that Jesus' disciples use in verse 31 when they say that the crowds are, are pressing in on Jesus. The crowds either, they don't care about what Jairus ha has said, they don't care that this girl might die, or, or they haven't heard. They have their own needs, and they're focused only on their own needs, and so they continue to swarm around Jesus. And then Mark, just like at the beginning of this passage, he focuses on one person. He focuses on Jairus in this crowd. Now he focuses on another person in the midst of this crowd. This person is the unnamed woman, this woman who has come to see Jesus you see, while Jairus' daughter was at death's doorstep, this woman was not. But her pain was no less real to her. Her pain was no less serious to her. For 12 years, she had suffered from an irregular menstrual bleeding. Now consider this woman's plight, especially in the context of the first century. This is a woman who has been suffering irregular bleeding for 12 years. 
Most people in the first century didn't have iron-rich diets in the first place, and so this woman was most likely anemic. She was constantly exhausted, but that's not all. Under the Old Testament purity laws, women were considered unclean during menstruation, and while unclean, people were required to avoid contact with them so that they would not get other people unclean. They were not allowed to gather in worship with everyone else, and while most Cases of being unclean were temporary, lasting a day or two or maybe even a week. This woman's uncleanness had lasted for 12 years. For 12 years, she had been isolated. For 12 years, she had been an outcast. For 12 years, she had not been able to feel the touch of another person or to gather in worship with other people. She had been barred from the synagogues. She had been barred from public worship. If she had been married when this started, and we don't know if she was or not, she was likely now divorced. She was a a woman who certainly wasn't able to get married in the context of this suffering. She was unable to have children. Mark actually goes further and tells us that whatever her financial state was before this issue came up, now she is broke. She is destitute and poor. She has spent all of her money in a search for a cure. Ancient medicine was a far cry from our modern-day forms of medicine. It was most, most often just forms of superstition. And so this woman subjected herself to trials that would make, your, make you want to pull your hair out as, a, as an attempt to heal her, and nothing worked. In fact, as time went on, things got worse and worse and worse. And then you add... To the first century, all, add all that to the first century thought that the Jews had oftentimes that if you suffered, it was because you had sinned. And everyone looked at this woman and, and thought, well, it's your fault. You brought this upon yourself. So why would we try to help you? Can you think of a woman who would be in a more vulnerable position than this woman? You see, on the one hand, we have Jairus, this respected leader, one of the leaders in the community, and yet his desperation drives him to Jesus. And on the other hand, we have this unnamed woman, this woman who is destitute, who is an outcast, and yet her desperation drives her to Jesus as well. Let's keep reading and picking up in verse 27. She had heard reports, the reports about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. For she said, if I touch even his garments, I will be made well. And immediately the flow of blood dried up and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. You see, like Jairus, this woman's desperation drives her to Jesus. Like Jairus, this woman has faith that Jesus can be the answer to her problems. If she just touches Jesus, then she will be healed. And and like Jairus, it is this relatively selfish faith. She has plans on just sneaking up on Jesus in the midst of the crowd, rubbing shoulders with countless people by touching other people in the crowd. She's actually making them unclean in the process. She wants to touch Jesus, rendering him unclean in the process, and then slinking away, completely anonymous, unnoticed, but hopefully healed. This is a woman. She has no interest in Jesus and his message on the kingdom. She thinks that all she needs is a whole body. 
And if she has that whole body, then she's going to be made complete. And so she begins to push through the crowds exactly like Jairus does. But unlike Jairus, she doesn't want to draw attention to herself. She simply sneaks up behind Jesus, reaches out, and slowly grabs his cloak. And at first, her plan works. In the very same moment that she touches Jesus' robe, she can feel that she is healed. And it's almost like she thinks the miracle worker has, has completed another miracle without him even knowing. And there's this silent rejoicing that's bubbling up inside of her as she slinks back into the crowd, trying to disappear and go back to her life. And that would make a great story. That would make a great story about Jesus' power, that Jesus is, is so powerful that he can passively heal someone without even actively saying anything or actively trying to, to do something, without even giving people his attention. Jesus can heal people. It, is, this, it would be this incredible story of this woman who has this faith that is rewarded, and she has given everything she ever imagined the end of her suffering, the, the end of her isolation, her ability to return to corporate worship. But we can see that Jesus isn't satisfied with that. Jesus isn't satisfied with the faith that the woman displays. In fact, he wants more from her because he wants more for her. Let's continue reading in verse 30. And Jesus, perceiving in himself that power had gone out from him, immediately turned around in the crowd and said, Who touched my garments? And his disciples said to him, You see the crowd pressing around you, and yet you say, Who touched me? And he looked around to see who had done it. You see, as this woman reaches out, and touches Jesus and begins to slide away anonymously at the exact same time, Jesus notices that he has healed someone. And so while he is being swarmed and, and touched by countless people in the sea of humanity, Jesus just stops and he asks this question that the disciples think is ridiculous. Who touched me? And indeed, if you're thinking of this from the disciples' perspective, this is a ridiculous question. Countless people have been jostling for this position to get close to Jesus in order to touch him this entire time. So why on earth is Jesus asking this question, who touched me? But Jesus knows exactly what he's doing. He knows exactly what he's saying. He's extending an invitation to this woman. He's extending to this invitation to this woman who wants to just slink off anonymously. He knows who she is. He knows that he can heal her. He knows that she had enough faith to sneak to him and, and be healed by him, but he wants more. He wants more for her than that. And so he gives her the opportunity to exercise that baby faith. And he says, who touched me? And when he says that, it is an arrow pointed directly at this woman's soul in order to get her attention that Jesus has not done with her yet. Let's read verse 33. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. You see, this woman has a decision to make when Jesus cries out to the crowd, who touched me? She hears it, and she can ignore it. 
She can ignore this, this moment where Jesus is calling out to her. She can go back to her life. She can go back to living the way she ever, or the way she wanted to live. She can go back with everything she ever wanted. She can start to piece her life back together again. And yes, it is going to be hard. It's going to be tough to make ends meet. She's probably past marrying age. She's probably past childbearing age by now. She's gotten everything she's ever wanted from Jesus, though. She's been healed. And now she can just disappear. Or she can listen to Jesus. Or she can listen to Jesus who is calling out to her. She has no idea what he wants. He could be furious. He could be furious that, that he reached out, or that she reached out and touched him without his permission to come before Jesus and, and make public to everyone what she had done. And this story of, of, her, of her healing would make people in the crowd angry with her as well because she was the one who made them unclean as well. Who did this woman think she was reaching out and touching this teacher? If she listens to Jesus, it will cost her everything. It will be the hardest thing that she has ever had to do. She doesn't know what's going to happen. She could be ostracized. She could be belittled. She could even have that healing taken away. And yet she decides to step out in faith. And she comes before Jesus, and she tells Jesus everything. No matter what may happen, she's made her decision. And so she comes before Jesus, she's trembling with fear, and she begins to tell Jesus everything. It starts slowly, and then it just starts spilling out. She talks about the pain, the loneliness, the anger that she has felt toward God, about what she had been missing out on in her entire life, the failed attempts to make herself better, all the money that she had wasted, the long-dead hopes of finally finding a cure that began to be ignited when she heard about Jesus being able to heal people. And word after word, it all begins gushing out of her, telling Jesus the whole truth. And how does Jesus respond? Verse 34. And he said to her daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. In just about every story in the Gospel of Mark, Jesus heals people in secret. He doesn't draw attention to them. He doesn't make a big show of his power to heal them. He respects them too much. He respects their personhood, and he doesn't want to use them as a publicity stunt, but not here. This woman wants to be healed in private, and Jesus won't let her. Why is that? Why is it that, that Jesus won't let her? It's because Jesus knows what she needs. Jesus knows that she needs something more than healing. He knows that she has this little bit of faith, but he wants more from her. And yes, he knows it is going to be incredibly painful to step out in faith, to face the unknown. It is going to terrify her, but he asks her to do it anyway because Jesus knows that this woman needs something that's more than just a body that is healed. Her soul needs healed as well. You see, she has a broken body, but she also has a broken relationship with God, a broken relationship with other people, and Jesus wants to heal that too. 
And so coming forward, she's confessing everything. And this tiny seed of faith, it blossoms into this deep, radical trust in Jesus. And how does Jesus respond? He says, daughter, your faith has made you well. It's the only time in the Gospels that Jesus calls someone daughter. The only time in the Gospels where Jesus says, you are my daughter. This woman who had no family, takes a a risk. She steps out in faith, and now she is a part of God's family. This woman only wanted a little from Jesus, but he wanted to pour blessing after blessing after blessing upon her. He heals her body, but he wants to do more than that. He heals her soul. This outcast is now welcomed into God's family. A member of the outside of society, a member of the crowd, has now been made a part of Jesus' family. An outsider is now Jesus' disciple. Jesus asks her to do something radical. He asks more from her than she ever dared imagine. But then Jesus gave her something that was greater than she could possibly dream. My daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed. Or literally, be saved from your disease. What an incredible moment. This incredible moment in this story where this woman is is welcomed from the outside of society into Jesus' family. But as the story continues, consider this from Jairus' perspective. After all, Jairus is is counting how many seconds he has left. Jairus' urgency remains. His daughter is, is still dying. This crowd is moving so slow, it's infuriating him. And then this conversation with this woman is just, it's too much for him. With every word that she says, that's another breath that his baby girl draws closer to his last, to her last. Indeed, Jesus' actions here are, are quite odd. If Jesus was a doctor, this would have been a, a serious form of malpractice. This woman's situation is desperate, but it's not life-threatening. It's a chronic condition. And yet Jesus stays with her after he has healed her and talks with her about her life story while in the emergency room down the hall, there is a woman who is about to die. And I think that Jairus right here is thinking the exact same thing that Jesus' disciples were thinking on the sea the night before. When they said, Jesus, don't you care that we are perishing? That's exactly what Jairus is thinking. Jesus, don't you care that my little girl is perishing? And then Jairus' worst fears are realized. While Jesus is still talking to this woman, someone comes from the house, verse 35. While Jesus was still speaking, there came from the ruler's house someone who said, Your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? Word comes from his house that it's too late. Jairus' daughter is dead. The apple of his eye is gone. His world is shaken to its core. This woman's joy means that Jairus will experience, experience unending grief. And don't miss the the implied statement here from the messengers. They say, Jairus, it's too late. Why are you bothering Jesus? Your little girl is dead. Jesus can't do anything to save her now. Verse 36. But 
Overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the ruler of the synagogue, Do not fear, only believe. And he allowed no one to follow him except Peter and James and John, the brother of James. So Jesus hears this messenger that comes from Jairus' house. He, he hears it, and now his attention swings from the woman back to Jairus. Jairus has, or Jesus has won his daughter. He is, he's now healed his daughter by leading her through the valley of the, her darkest fears of having to come public before everyone. And now Jesus is focused on Jairus and, and Jairus' soul as well. But just like it was going to cost this woman everything she could imagine and more, now it is going to cost Jairus everything he could imagine and more. Jesus isn't shocked by the news about Jairus' daughter. In fact, he was waiting for it. He was waiting for Jairus' daughter to die. Jairus was trusting Jesus to heal his daughter of a disease. And Jesus looks at Jairus and says, you have faith. But I am cultivating a deeper faith. It's one thing for you to trust me to heal your sick baby girl. But it's not enough. I want you to trust me to rescue her from the dead. And so Jesus looks at Jairus and says, Don't fear. Keep believing. What incredible words. Don't fear. Keep believing. What impossible words. In the face of death, don't fear. Keep believing. In the midst of desperation, Jesus says the exact same thing to every single one of us. Don't fear. Keep believing. Verse 38. They came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue, and Jesus saw a commotion, people weeping and wailing loudly. And when he had entered, he said to them, Why are you making a commotion and weeping? This child is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him. But he put them all outside and took the child's father and mother and those who were with him and went in to where the child was. Jesus arrives at Jairus' house. This crowd is gathered together. The fact that the crowd of mourners is already there ready for this death shows just how imminent this was. Everyone saw the writing on the wall. Everyone assumed this girl would die and Jairus looks like a fool because he left when he could have spent his daughter's last moments there with her. And he leaves on this fool's errand. Don't fear. Keep believing. Jesus addresses, uh, addresses this crowd, this crowd of mourners, with his declaration of what's about to happen. Jesus isn't fooled. Jesus doesn't literally think that this girl is sleeping. He knows that she is dead. He's saying that with him, raising the dead is as easy as for us to rouse the sleeping. And this crowd laughs, this bitter sign of their unbelief toward Jesus. And so Jesus casts them out forcefully, the exact same word that is used for Jesus casting out demons. He says, if you don't have faith, if you don't believe, then get out of here. And he casts them all out. And all that are left, Jesus, his three disciples, and Jairus and his wife. Don't fear. Keep believing. Verse 41, taking her by the hand, he said to her, Talitha kumi, which means little girl, I say to you, arise. This is one of the most beautiful verses in the entire 
Bible. It shows the tenderness of Jesus more than perhaps any other verse in the Bible. Jesus kneels next to this little girl's bed, and he grabs her hand, not unlike a dad would take his own daughter's hand, and he looks at her with compassion and love, and he says, Talitha kumi, which is Aramaic, the, the common language of the day. Mark is emphasizing that Jesus isn't saying these magic words. He's just talking to the girl. And what does he say to her? Well, literally, he just says to her, baby girl, it's time to get up. He uses the exact same pet name that Jairus uses for his, dog, for his girl earlier, just like this girl's mom and dad probably said to her countless times before when they were waking her up in her 12 years of life. Jesus looks at this little girl, takes her by the hand, and says, baby girl, it's time to get up. He doesn't say, be resurrected. He just looks at the girl and lovingly says, honey, it's time to get up. And she does. You see, Jesus is facing death, the most inescapable, terrifying enemy of the human race. It has conquered virtually every single person ever who has lived. And Jesus' power is so great that he simply holds this girl's hand and he brings her up out of death just like he's waking someone from sleep in the morning. What an incredible picture of Jesus. One author describes it this way. It's as if Jesus' actions are saying, if I have you by the hand, nothing, even death, can stop me. It's just like sleep. Verse 42. And immediately the little girl got up and began walking, for she was 12 years of age, and they were immediately overcome with amazement. And he strictly charged them that no one should know this, and he told them to give her something to eat. You see, Jesus speaks, and the dead listen. Jairus' baby girl gets up and is completely healthy. She begins to walk around the house, probably completely oblivious to the miracle that just took place. Jairus and his mother or, and her mother are just crying tears of joy. And this girl, she's probably a typical preteen, and she's a little weirded out by what's taking place right now. Why are there so many tears that are happening right now? And so Jesus says, hey, go get her something to eat. Get her a sandwich. And everyone is just floored by um, amazement. They're unable to speak because of what they just witnessed. You see, Jairus sought Jesus for a miracle. He sought Jesus for, for healing the sick. He has this little bit of faith, but it was small. And just like what Jesus did with the woman in the middle of the story, Jesus wants more from Jairus. And so he lets Jairus' daughter die. He lets Jairus walk into despair into unbelievable grief, into unbelievable anguish, into Jairus' darkest night. But Jesus never leaves Jairus. He is with him the entire way. He gives Jairus hope. Don't fear. Keep believing. You see, all too often, we don't understand what Jesus is doing in our own lives. We can't begin to fathom why or comprehend why he allows us to, to experience hardship and pain. We don't understand Jesus' timing. We reach out to him. Why, why don't you just intervene now, God? Why, why, are, why are you silent in the midst of the bleakest moments? And we come to Jesus in, in desperation and wonder why he doesn't spare us from the hurt. And these two 
interlaced stories that give us a glimpse of what Jesus is doing in the midst of our darkest times. And that's ultimately what this text is about. Jesus will ask more of you than you think possible. But he will give you more than you dream possible. Jesus is going to ask more of you than you ever could think possible. He's going to ask more of your faith than you ever could have dreamed that you could give him. And yet he's going to give you so much more than we could ever ask or imagine or fathom. Jairus and this woman, they come to Jesus with this kernel of faith and Jesus says, I want more. I want more faith. And he lets them, or or maybe even more accurately, he leads them into some of the most difficult, desperate situations of their lives. And it's not because he doesn't love them. It's because he loves them that he leads them there, that he is willing to lead them into these situations where they have nowhere else to turn except to him. And Jesus has the exact same love for every single one of us here. If you were to speak to Jairus or you were to speak to this woman before all of this took place and say, hey, this is what you're going to face. Can you handle it? They probably would have said, you're out of your mind. No way. There's no way that I could do that. And yet Jesus leads them there anyway, and in doing so, each of them have this faith that blossoms. And they were given more than they could have ever have dreamed. All too often, we ask too little of Jesus. Just like the woman, we want a respite from our suffering, and that's it. Just like Jairus, we want the daughter healed, and and that's it. But Jesus wants to give us more. He wants to, to give this woman not just a healed body. He wants to say, hey, you're my daughter. He wants to show Jairus his power in a way that he's never shown it to anyone before. But getting there meant incredible hardship. It may not mean the end of your pain. It may not mean that that you get what you want. Your desperation may not end on your terms when you cry out to God. It may actually get worse. But Jesus walks with you. And Jesus loves you. And he will give you more than you could ever fathom. And so as we close this morning, just ask yourself, what might Jesus be asking of you? What might Jesus be asking of your faith? If you find yourself in a season of incredibly difficult times, of this hardship, it's not wrong to seek a way out of it any more than Jairus seeks a way for Jesus to heal his daughter. But if you find yourself in one of those seasons, consider how God might be using it to shape you and form you, to draw you ever closer to him, to bring you into his presence, Jesus is going to ask more of you than you could ever think possible. But he is going to give you more than you could ever dream possible. Don't fear. Keep believing. Let's pray. Jesus, as we look at this story We are reminded of your incredible love for your people. How even when we experience the darkest night, you are there with us. In fact, we know that we can receive more than we could ever imagine because you experienced the darkest night for us. 
And so, Father, we ask that you would give us eyes to see in the midst of hardship and pain how you might be using those things to draw us ever nearer to you. Help us, God. We need you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This has been a presentation of Crosswinds Church. More of Pastor Jordan's sermons can be found online at crosswinds.tv. Thanks for being with us, and may God continue to enrich your life.